mobile phones, laptops, tablets, and everything in between. This is Sean and Sean, and you're listening to the Silicon Theory Podcast. Greetings, fellow tech seekers. Sean from Silicon Theory here, and tonight we've got a very special podcast and a very special guest. I'm going to be bringing Sean P. on the line, and we are going to talk about the news du jour of the last couple of days, which includes the OnePlus 8 and OnePlus 8 Pro announcements, as well as the new iPhone SE 2020 announcements. And there is lots to talk about. So we're going to have someone else who is very mobile enthusiastic, our friend Alex, going to be joining us on the line and talking uh, all things OnePlus and get some thoughts about the uh, iPhone from him as well. As a fellow OnePlus device owner, I wanted to make sure that we got as many any variety of takes as humanly possible. So sit tight and I'm going to bring the gents on the line. This is Sean. Did you just put me on hold? Yeah, I didn't put you on hold. I was merging calls. Oh. It's called, techno- called technology, Sean. What? What are you, talk- <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm not taking it back. Good evening, gentlemen. What's going on? How's it going? Good, good. Not much. Just uh, getting ready to talk some tech. Who's with me? Man, I'm with you. I have to be honest. I'm a little concerned. Uh, are you recording yet, by the way? Yeah, it's, we can use it in the cold open. Don't worry. Uh, I was just going to say that I'm a little concerned. I, I'm having the problem where my hair in the back is growing enough that it's starting to like, curl. It's going to be like a mullet. Okay. And I have to make a horrifying decision of either just embracing the mullet or letting my wife cut my hair, which may be the scarier of the two scenarios. Did I ever tell you that Yad used to cut my hair regularly? Yeah, but like, with your face, it doesn't really matter what your hair looks like. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is a true story, because beauty knows no boundaries. Hair would, No hair would not make me less beautiful, and a full head of flowing thick hair, such as I have right now, also does not make me less beautiful. But... Uh, no, we used to. Yes, that's, uh, what I, that's what I meant. I'm sure that's that's what I that's what I choose to believe. Um, yeah, I used All to. All I have to say is uh, Sean, research uh, quarantine fade. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Right about that. Nope, I'm good. The uh, no, should we, I bought a pair of uh, like wall razors because I just, honestly I just got tired of spending money on haircuts when they were basically just buzz cutting my hair. And so I just said, yeah, babe, you can do this, right? She's like, um, I'll try. And then uh, she did it. And my first couple were kind of raw. But um, uh, after about like three times of doing it, she got she got it down pat. And until, you know, until the kids were born, like she just cut my hair and I saved so much money. It was ridiculous. True story. One thing I do, uh, I want to throw out there is full disclaimer. I live in Santa Ana. So if you guys hear gunshots or helicopters... <laughs> Uh, please call 911. Okay. We will. Uh, I'm not going to call 911, but I'll also be disappointed if I don't hear some gunshots. <laughs> now that we've kind of uh, set the table for that kind of conversation, um, I thought we'd uh, I thought we'd lead off with the OnePlus 8 and OnePlus 8 Pro uh, conversation. And then um, depending on how far we get and how much time everybody has, we can roll that into the iPhone SE 2020 uh, discussion about how um, how Apple's going to sell a crap ton of these phones to a lot of people. Uh, and then at the very end, if there's time, we can get into my conspiracy theory about how the government stimulus came out at the same day that Apple launched a new cheaper iPhone. And the stimulus money is actually encouraging people to upgrade their iPhones. So 
Sound good? Sound I mean, like a plan? Tim, yeah, I mean, I hear Tim Apple is in a pretty good, uh, <laughs> it's held in high esteem by the president, so there's that. I hear uh, I hear he does a mean uh, dance, too, in uh, online memes, so we'll see. All right, let's do it. So OnePlus had a live streaming event on Monday the 12th, and they announced two devices, the OnePlus 8 and the OnePlus 8 Pro. Uh, both of these devices are mostly iterative updates to their OnePlus 7T and OnePlus 7 Pro devices, uh, or 7T Pro, depending on the market segment and section of the world that you're in. And um, there was some, some notable stuff from the launch announcement. So we got some new colors, which are kind of sick. And um, we also got some very interesting new features, primarily on the 8 Pro, which include um, an official IP68 water and dust resistance rating now. Uh, OnePlus went out on a limb and shelled out the cash to actually make the rating official. And um, there's also... <laughs> there's also a, read this in Fisher's uh, comment section of his review of the OnePlus 8. So apparently the carrier variants of the OnePlus 8s are also IP68, but the unlocked version that you buy from the OnePlus store is not officially rated, and yet those phones are identical. So that's pretty interesting. And then um, also OnePlus came out with their proprietary wireless charging, 30-watt uh, charging 30 watt wireless charging solution and they have a pretty cool stand that's fan cooled that um, you can buy for an extra 70 bucks if you don't get in on the pre-order deals and uh, and that is the first time that a OnePlus phone has had a wireless uh, charging option which is really fun so um, I'll let uh, Plunkett do his things and run and run down the specs and then I will tell you why these phones are a terrible value after that uh, so <laughs> no <laughs> spoiler alert. Uh, I'm not spoiler alert. I am not a huge fan, not a huge fan, but, um, what did, what did we get in way of specs on both of these SKUs, Sean? So I think basically it's interesting that the one plus eight, as far as I can tell is the previous one plus seven pro with a slightly smaller screen and a Snapdragon S eight sixty five in it. I mean, I think they're virtually identical. So, uh, you know, S865, so it has the, the 5G that Qualcomm is forcing on everyone. Um, I believe, I, I want to say it has a 6.55 inch screen, so slightly smaller because the um, OnePlus 7 Pro was 6.67 inches, but you're, I, I don't think that means. You're correct. 6.55 full HD fluid AMOLED, fluid AMOLED 2400 by 1080 with a 90 hertz refresh rate. So it's kind of a it's kind of a yeah, mashup so, of the 7T and the 7 Pro in a way. Yeah, you're right because it doesn't have the QHD plus, but um, eight gigabytes and 128 gigabytes of eight gigabytes of RAM, 128 gigabytes of storage, or 12 gigabytes of RAM, uh, 256 gigabytes of storage. Um, UFS 3.0, uh, same camera sensor. The, the main primary 48 is the same camera sensor as the the one from the OnePlus 7 Pro last year. And uh, I'm trying to think. It does not have some of the goodies that the, the Pro has, um, which we'll get to. But, um, you know, it's it's kind of like the overlooked phone, I feel like, in a lot of ways. But not. It, it's fairly nice in and of itself. I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think of the, the normal 8? Alex, what do you think about the eight? I mean, the normal eight itself, it's it's a decent simple, and as Sean mentioned, I mean, it is kind of like a seven pro. I mean, at that point, I personally go big or go home, so I would always go for the eight pro. But 
it's a decent phone. It's good value, I think. Yeah. By the way, yeah, I mean, we're, still- we're we're talking about going uh, big, and the small phone is a six and a half inch phone. Yeah, but okay, small phones are awesome, uh, so that's just kind of the way it is. But, well, um, just for context, <laughs> just for context, the iPhone SE 2020 that Apple just announced today is a 4.7-inch display with massive bezels. So, yeah, I guess small is a relative term, but um, go ahead, Sean. We'll talk about that. Um, it has a 4,300 milliamp hour battery. Uh, pricing on the 8 is 699 for the 8 gigabyte, 128 gigabyte SKU, and then uh, 799 for the 12 gigabyte, 256 gigabyte SKU. Um, someone pointed out, I, I hadn't really realized this, I guess it is the m- least expensive 5G phone available in the United States, which was something I kind of overlooked yesterday. I guess, you know, obviously in China, they have a lot of these loss leader phones that uh, are, are less expensive, like the Red Means of the world. Um, but here in the States, it's the least expensive 5G phone. Um, also, interestingly, it is available on T-Mobile directly, but the Pro is not. The, yeah. And I want to say I read the same thing for Verizon. Isn't Verizon the same situation? I think so as well. And I, I remember you sending me that um, that uh, like that tech support tweet or whatever it was from T-Mobile that was basically like, yep, you can buy the 8 or pre-order the 8 starting soon. What about the 8 Pro? Yeah, um, not, not so much, but the 8 is really, really good too. You should buy that. So I don't, it is really weird. And this, this persisted with, um, cause like in some markets you could get the seven T pro and in some markets you could only get the seven. And in some markets you could only get the seven T and the seven pro like here in the U S the one plus seven was not offered. So, uh, which is fine cause the seven T is a, a superior phone anyways, but it, it does seem a little bit strange that, um, one plus has kind of like a half in half out strategy. Like, Hey, the carriers will have variants and you can get it on Verizon, but you can only get certain ones on Verizon. And then the other ones you got to buy from us. And it's just a, it's a very, and, and I get it. They're a relatively new and smaller OEM player in the marketplace. So maybe they just don't have the cachet and maybe they're, you know, bending to the carrier's whims and agreements because, you know, they kind of have to do that if they want to, you know, they got to play nice if they want to get into the stores. Uh, which is certainly, I'm sure, a part of that strategy. But it, it is a little bit confusing, especially if you watched the announcement. Although, let's be honest, if you watch the announcement, you're probably, you know, buying directly from OnePlus's website anyways. But um, it, it is a little bit odd that not all of the choices are made available at all of the carriers. But I think in a way, both of you are right. Like, if this is the entry-level phone for 699 into, you know, something in the Android world, um, you could definitely do a lot worse for the same amount of money. And you could definitely do worse for less money. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the super aggressively curved displays. Um, one of the reasons why I love the 7T is it has that flat display, but the display is good. You know, 90 hertz, 1080, you know, full HD. The, the AMOLED panels from OnePlus typically tend to be really good. Um, I'm one of the nerds who, you know, calibrates it to the DCI P3 color space so it doesn't have that wildly garish, you know, Samsung AMOLED over the top, you know, color pop on it, but it's a quality panel. It looks good. It performs well in in bright sunlight. It performs well in darkness. It's just a, it's just a really, really good phone. And I'm reading the Droid Life review here. And, you know, uh, I think this was Tim. It is. So Tim says in the U S it'd be hard to find a phone that has this list of specs, which you already named Sean at a starting price of 699. OnePlus has a solid history of doing this. So none of us should be surprised. 
And if you need even fancier specs, maybe the OnePlus 8 Pro will be your speed. And this is kind of, this will be one of the things that I'll touch on in, in my portion of the argument later on. But um, the fact that they do offer two SKUs is kind of nice. There are some really cool colorways. The green is really sick. That iridescent um, purple color uh, is really, really cool too. And I think for me, this is, this is the part of the OnePlus presentation that I really liked in that I think the OnePlus 8 is a good phone. It's, you know, iterative in some ways uh, over the 7T. And, you know, it's, it, you know, with the curved display, it's not as good in my opinion, but it does improve on a lot of things that the 7T um, not necessarily wasn't great at, but just that, you know, it, you can do things better, so do things better. But it also doesn't go all the way to the pro. So like no 30 watt wireless charging and no official, unofficial, quote unquote, uh, IP68 rating. And the display is curved. So if, you know, you, you don't happen to like a curved display, then you're, you know, kind of shit out of luck. Um, but I, I think the 699 and 799 price points, um, and I think offering two different SKUs, that was my only beef with the 7T is if they had offered a 12256, I would have bought that instead. But what was available is the 8128. Not that that's, you know, bad by any stretch of the imagination, but there just wasn't choice. And now OnePlus is offering choices and it's a hundred dollar difference and that's fine. So, um, what, what, uh, what else can we say about the OnePlus 8 that, that we haven't talked about already? Yeah, there's a little odds and ends. It has the matte back this time, at least on the green color. Uh, it comes in green, black, and interstellar glow, which is kind of like a gradient purple and pink and blue color. Um, they also went away from the, uh, you know, uh, pop-up camera that mm. they had last year, and they've moved That's the right. notch, excuse me, the hole punch, like everyone else this year. Uh, their hole punch, unlike Samsung, is not center top. It is left top. Um, and this probably is what allowed them to have the IP rating, I would imagine. Although, uh, you know, it, it makes the phone look a little bit more like everything else on the market and stand out a little bit less. So it's an, it's an interesting decision, but it, it makes sense why they did it. They said also that it frees up a lot of room internally, allowed them to put in a larger battery, uh, and it's less complex. So, um, you know, I guess it makes sense in that context. So, so you, you like the fact that they did away with the pop-up camera then? Um, I do and I don't. Like, I bought the 7 Pro. So, full disclosure, all three of us on the phone have a OnePlus phone. Uh, Sean has the 7T. Me, Sean, has a 7 Pro. And Alex also has a 7 Pro. Um, Alex and I are not plebeians, so we have the 12 gigabyte uh, RAM models, unlike um, Sean Spring. Um, but uh, It's pronounced, really ple like it. it's pronounced plebeian, by the way, <laughs> not plebeian. Just so you know. Whatever, you're We'll just call you a plea. It's simpler that way. Um, but uh, I really liked that last year. I thought it stood out, and it was something. Uh, and one of the reasons is I kind of went with the phone last year. I I looked at the crowd, and it, you know, it was the first to have kind of a high refresh in the United States, and it had that pop up, so I didn't have any kind of weird notch or anything on the screen. And um, even today, you know, it, it still is a good looking phone. So, but I understand why they did this, and I think for most people, the you know, it's relatively unobtrusive, and uh, it, you know the IP rating is probably more important, unofficial or not. So, um, Sean, real quick, yep. Sorry, you can't forget that you can also use it as a bottle opener. So that's a plus. Yeah, you can. I do always forget, and it makes you cringe to even think about it. But that's right. You can was, use the bottle, bottle opener. I'm so happy Alex brought that up because if he hadn't, I was totally going to do that. And the only reason I mentioned that is because I remember very vehemently you saying like, oh, this is, 
the whole punch is so like so Samsung. Like everybody's doing it. Motorola is doing it. Samsung's doing it. This is what differentiates OnePlus is they have this cool thing and it's rated for five hundred thousand you know cycles or whatever, which is I don't know twenty selfies a day for the next twenty years or some crap like that. But you know, in a in a way, I think you're correct in that the design is more common. Um, but uh, and I've said this to both of you probably repeatedly that, you know, pop-up cameras are just another point of failure. So if you eliminate a point of failure, you can do things like probably, you know, if you want to pay, you know, whatever, you know, 60 bucks a phone or whatever to get the official rating, then I think that more people are going to be entranced by that than would worry about their bottle opener slash selfie camera popping up out of their phone. Um, the, the, Price and availability section from Tim's review on Droid Life says, if you're curious if the OnePlus 8 is worth its starting price of $699, that'd be a big time yes from me. For these specs and this hardware, it seems like a no-brainer. That that to me is is kind of where it starts and ends with the OnePlus 8. Like, it's a good value and you're getting a lot for a sub-flagship price. So this is, this is where I think the road... Uh, less traveled by starts for me because OnePlus has been a, a brand and a company whose motto of never settle is predicated on their initial launch of the OnePlus One device where you were supposed to be getting a flagship phone for a cut rate price or a non-flagship price. And I think that in a lot of ways, the OnePlus 8 is still a flagship level phone for a non-flagship level price. When we talk about the with 8 Pro... We're talking about a flagship phone that has a flagship price. And before we before we get too much in depth there, um, give me give me the rundown on the eight pro Sean and let's talk a little bit with Alex about where the, the differences are and why someone might favor the eight pro over the eight for their uh, purchasing dollars. Okay, so the eight pro steps up from the eight. Uh, you have a 6.78 inch uh, QHD plus screen um, that runs all the way up to 120 hertz, even at QHD plus resolution, unlike the Samsung phones. Um, you get uh, Snapdragon 865, uh, 8 gigabytes of RAM and 128 gigabytes of storage, or 12 gigabytes of RAM and 256. Um, you get a 4510 mAh battery. Uh, they've added in warp charge. 32 fast wireless charging this year. Um, so as Sean kind of alluded to, there's a wireless charger that's proprietary. Um, I think it retails for $69 and cents or some such thing, but uh, it charges the phone really freaking fast, actually. Um, I, I think, what did they say in there? It charges from zero to 50 in like, what, 20 minutes, half hour, something like that? Yeah, I think it's 30 minutes, but I yeah, think... Yeah, 20 to 30 minutes. Yeah, I yeah. think that's right. Uh, um, it also can do normal key wireless charging, so it can key, key, I never did this right, uh, five, 5 or 10, I think you can do. Um, they also added IP68 water resistance, which is something that they've been missing. Uh, they upgraded the camera since last year, so the main sensor steps up to a Sony IMX689 sensor, still 48 megapixel, but... Uh, it has a much larger pixel size and let a lot more light in, so uh, theoretically makes for uh, much better pictures. So one, um, one point, lens, it's a wide angle. One point seven micron, is that right? Did I read that somewhere? That sounds right. Okay. 
But yeah, so bigger bigger pixels, supposedly better, more light, better images. AF 1.78 is the aperture. Um, has a telephoto lens, ultra-wide angle, a color filter lens. Um, I'm trying to think what else it has over the main phone. I think those are the main differences is really, you know, it kind of steps everything up a notch. Um, it still does have a hole punch. Again, upper left-hand corner. I think they said it was like 3.8 millimeters. It's small as far as hole punches go. We're actually getting into the ludicrous spec of how big the hole punch is on these phones a little bit, which is incredible to me. So you're basically um, saying that the smaller hole is the better one? <laughs> I, I'm not touching that with a 10-foot <laughs> hole. Um, I know better. Welcome uh, to the podcast, Alex. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, well, He's like, cool, human resources. Um, so uh, really looking at it is a scaled up uh, OnePlus 7 Pro. It looks like one. I actually think the design looks good. It comes in uh, a nice green color that actually, interestingly, in the reviews, looking at pictures, is more. it looks bluish, which is interesting. And then they have ultramarine blue, which is kind of a more... Mm, it's a little bit like the blue color from last year, but more vibrant, I guess, uh, neon almost. And then they have the normal black. Um, prices are eight hundred and ninety-nine for the eight gigabyte, one hundred twenty-eight gigabyte SKU, and then the big bad boy twelve gigabyte two hundred fifty-six is nine hundred ninety-one dollars. Oh wow! Which is a steal. <laughs> We're gonna get into this. We're gonna get into this in a second. Nine hundred ninety-nine dollars. Um, they had a, a they had a deal today where if you pre-ordered, you got a free wireless charger and their bullets earbuds. Um, but that sold out apparently in like a minute and a half. So whatever quantity they released was like seven or something. So I, I read a lot of chat online that a few lucky souls were able to get it. A lot of people were not. Uh, artificial scarcity at its finest. So. Um, Real quick, before we dive into the whole is it worth it game, which is going to be so entertaining, um, I just want to say one thing this year, and we'll touch on this when we get to the iPhones. Phones this year are more expensive. When Sean Spring and I did our podcast on the Galaxy S20 series, we gave Samsung a fair amount of crap with it because their prices really were out of control. I think what we're seeing this year is Qualcomm, which owns Monopoly effectively in the United States on chips and kind of wireless radios um, this year put a gun to everyone's head and said if you want the newest chip the Snapdragon 865 you have to have the 5G X55 modem with it and the rumor is that costs manufacturers something like $100 extra per unit so you know we're, we're going to jump in here in a second but I want to throw it out there that really prices have crept up from everyone on the android side and qualcomm is the reason for that and they are an asshole monopoly and i hate it so having said that let's have that a gentleman alex what was what was your first thought when you were watching the announcement and oneplus comes out with an 899 999 price tag first impression first impression i was actually uh to be honest, I wasn't really surprised. I had spoken with uh, Plunkett uh, a few weeks back, and we were kind of debating as far as what the price range would be. And based on what the leaks were saying as far as the new features, wireless charging, the IP rating, I, I believe, Sean, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe I quoted at about 950. Um, yeah. so again, 
I am more than willing to pay for because, again, the, the one few gripes that I had with the 7 Pro is no wireless charging, no IP rating, and then the only other one was um, potentially getting a uh, ultra-wide-angle selfie cam, which we still didn't get on the 8 Pro, but otherwise I called it at about 950. Yeah, the, this is this is a fact. Uh, when we were debating this, I said, "Nah, there's no way they go up that not, that much. Their margins are a lot smaller. That would be brand suicide." And I pre- I predicted that they would go up to like seven. They would go seven forty nine was where the one seven one plus seven pro, uh, you know, the top end model. I was guessing it would go up fifty bucks to you know seven ninety nine, and I was completely wrong. Not even close. Laughably wrong. So, and I think I came yeah, in. I think I came in at like eight fifty. I think is where I said. I think eight forty nine was where I expected it to to start. So, I think Alex was was pretty close to right on the money. Uh, Sean was way off as he usually is, and then I was kind of you know uh, <laughs> clo- close but without going over kind of thing. Here here's my yeah, beef. So. Here's my beef. I'll lay it. I'll, uh, I'll yeah. lay it out. I'm going to quote the sage poet and YouTube philosopher, Flossie Carter, when I say, the price is too goddamn high. Here's my beef. That was the worst Flossie Carter impression I've ever heard, and it was also the only Flossie Carter impression I've ever heard. By the way, of of the three of us, which one of us has actually met Flossie Carter in person? That is that's right. That only you can that's right. That's right, bitches. So here's my here's my problem, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna cherry pick some stuff from both the Verge review and the Droid Life review when we get there. As I mentioned before, OnePlus has been a value brand that brings more to the table than the price point would suggest. That is no longer the case with the OnePlus 8 Pro. You are getting a flagship phone and you are absolutely paying a flagship price. $899, $999 is flagship specs. This is this is iPhone territory. This is Samsung Galaxy S20 territory. This is the disastrous Pixel 4 and Pixel 4 XL territory. And all three of those OEMs have greater name recognition and cachet, especially with brands and retail OEM partners than OnePlus has and likely ever will. So if Google cannot make inroads with a 999 phone, why would OnePlus think that they can? So, okay, I, I would I would tackle a couple things here. Um, yes, their brand was the budget flagship, and that was what they've kind of built on for all of these generations. But at some point, like... Why are they not allowed to break into the full flagship game if they so deem? I mean, I read their sales were up, I think, 199% last year in North America. They finally managed to get carrier presence. They kind of built up that cachet with at least the hardcore enthusiasts over the years. And, yeah, they broke with what their brand used to be. But the OnePlus 8, all things considered, is arguably, as you pointed out, still a flagship that you know, has a few corners cut, but is less expensive than other flagships. So for those guys that are really upset about this, it's like that still exists and they can still buy it. And then for everyone else, to some extent, the pro, why can't they make a pro and charge that money for it? I mean, look, it still costs, if you want to really compare apples to apples, it's like the 899 
OnePlus 8 Pro is a pretty good deal. It undercuts the lowest Galaxy S20 by 100 bucks, and really outperforms it in most ways. And then at 999 the, the loaded 8 Pro is $200 less than an S20 Plus and $400 less than an S20 Ultra. And what is it missing? I, I mean, they each trade blows a little bit. Like, okay, the Samsung still has an SD card slot. Great. Um, but I have to choose between FHD at 120 hertz or QHD at 60. Whereas on the OnePlus, I lose the SD card. But I have 256 gigabytes anyway, and now I can run the screen at QHD Plus at 120 hertz, which to me actually is the trade-off that I would rather have. So I, I guess I guess my point is this. When you're looking at flagship Android phones in the United States, there really are only two groups that have everything, and that's the Galaxy F20 series and the OnePlus 8 Pro. If you're talking about spec for spec, and one of them costs a whole lot less than the other, even if it is expensive still. Alex, what what are your thoughts? Do you think nine ninety nine is the right price to charge for this phone? I mean, technically, it's under a thousand dollars. As we all have seen, other flagships are over one thousand dollars. And straight from the beginning, I knew that if I was going to get a flagship, I am not paying over a thousand, which is what kind of drew me over to OnePlus. Um, the way I also look at it is, I mean, you're looking at, take, so, let's say, for example, Kia, so, uh, Hyundai, and Honda. I mean, why can't you make those top-of-the-line, full-featured products and potentially start selling them at a much higher price? I mean, like we also discussed, there was mentioned earlier, the chip itself is making you do 5G. So with 5Gs, now you're going to have to increase the price wireless charging you're going to have to increase the price again it's still under a thousand dollars so me as a consumer i would absolutely buy 100 percent, no questions aside from the psychological impact of buying a phone that's under a thousand dollars by a dollar and sales tax is going to push you well over that thousand dollar price point um i'm gonna i'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna come at this from a different direction than Sean Plunkett, although kind of in the same vein. So by the way, I don't pay, I don't think you pay sales tax. As I recall, it was just it's flat when you're buying it from OnePlus directly. So I think it is. But if you, but you bought it from a if you bought it from a carrier though, you'd pay tax. Yeah, if you buy it from a carrier, but you can only get the Pro from OnePlus, so I don't think there is tax. Which is again, when you're talking about a hundred dollar phone or a thousand dollar phone, is not inconsiderable. No, agreed. And I'll, in my way, I think I'll address each of your concerns and each of your arguments with my counter argument. So to, um, to Sean's point. So one of, uh, well, as we've already said, most of the enthusiasts are probably going to buy from uh, OnePlus's website to begin with. But the average Joe American consumer who still buys his phone from a carrier store is going to walk in and is going to go next to nothing about OnePlus probably and is going to see a Samsung phone. And they're they're probably, I would argue, going to have heard much more about Samsung due to Samsung's immense marketing budget and probably would get more positioning from the sales rep towards the Samsung device than the, um, than the OnePlus device. And then remember, the in T-Mobile at least and at Verizon, these phones are only going to be the OnePlus 8. They are not going to be 
the OnePlus 8 Pro. So it's not necessarily an apples to apples comparison. If we were talking about the 8 Pro in the store versus the S20 Plus, yeah, maybe you've got a little bit of a different argument, but you're not. You're going to get the 8 and people are going to go, okay, well, what are, the, what are the real differences? Well, I know of one phone. I don't know of the other phone. And, you know, the guy in their store is probably going to try and sell me the Samsung because he makes a better commission. And that's where people are probably going to be steered. So the people who are buying them at the T-Mobile store are probably going to be people who are maybe OnePlus enthusiasts to begin with and maybe want the cheaper phone to go with to save money if they're not going to buy a relatively more expensive Samsung phone. The argument that I made for the S20 and the S20 Plus, not necessarily the Ultra because the Ultra had issues of its own at launch, but the issue with that is you're not going to pay full retail price. If you're trading in a phone, especially if you're trading in a Samsung phone, which most people who are buying a Samsung phone are, you know, recidivism purchasers of Samsung products, uh, and we have a Samsung, a former or reformed Samsung fanboy on the call, you can get a very robust trade-in value for most of the Samsung devices if you're buying from Samsung directly. Uh, we did this for my wife. We got her an S20 Plus. We got uh, 300 and something, I think $325 for her Galaxy S9, which made buying the higher-end SKU of the S20 Plus a lot more of an affordable value proposition. I bought that S20 Plus for essentially the same price as the base model um, 8 Pro. OnePlus's trade-in program is not nearly as robust, even if you trade in one of their own phones, which seems a little strange to me, but again, not as big of a company, not as much cachet, and maybe their phones just don't command the kind of resale value that Samsung devices do, and they can't afford to take the kind of hit that Samsung probably can take by keeping those customers loyal. So the price to me doesn't really make, the price argument doesn't hold a lot of water because there are ways and Samsung's phones typically will go on sale as well. So you have ways to not pay full retail price to get a roughly comparable phone with similar features and a similar display. To Alex's point... Blanket, have you... Go ahead, Alex. Sorry, real quick. Have you done the research to... Because uh, I don't know if I don't know if the average consumer is as crazy as we are where we tend to upgrade phones between one to two years. I would assume people hold on to them much longer. No, I, I, think, I could be wrong. No, I think people do. People do, on average, hold their phones longer than we do. We're stupid, but that's fine. Um, but and that just—I mean, again—that goes to show. I traded in Yad's two-year-old S9 to get the S20 Plus, and still got 350 bucks for it. And yeah, you could make the argument that you know I could have sold it somewhere else, maybe made a few more bucks, and you know had to pay for shipping and some other stuff. But dealing directly with the carrier or dealing directly with the OEM, excuse me, in this instance, allowed me to purchase that phone at a much discounted rate and we also got um, you know another hundred dollars in um, store credit to use on buying cases and a wireless charger for her and stuff like that so the the goodies and the giveaways are roughly comparable with what oneplus is offering right now and to me that is more incentive to purchase from that particular manufacturer and you know it it tends to level the playing field a little bit more and the people who are going into the stores are probably not going to have heard of OnePlus and are not going to have the option to buy the 8 Pro anyways. So those are people who are buying the 8 Pro in a carrier store are price-driven people. To so, yeah, go ahead. What was, the, what was the reason for upgrading the S9 to the uh, S20 Plus? Essentially, we 
ran out of storage, so to speak, in the main phone, even though it did have a, an S uh, and it did have an SD card slot, and the camera was malfunctioning. Now, do you think that Samsung did that purposely and offered potentially more of a trade-in, so that you would, in essence, not look to what they were doing as far as the uh, lower memory? Do you, Do you think I or potentially the phone itself? Are you asking me if I think it was planned obsolescence? <laughs> I mean, yeah. not, well, if you're gonna if you're gonna make that argument, then none of us would know because we don't hold on to our phones for two years. If you held on to your OnePlus phone for two years, who knows where it would be? Too. I mean, like none of us have done that, so, so it's hard to make that argument. So, I'll, I'll say no. I don't think it's planned obsolescence, and I also wish that our wives would stop filling up their phones. Um, <laughs> but I will say, Fair. I, I will say it's. Um, your arguments are valid if the game, the goal of the game was to sell as many units as possible. But I'm not sure that it is for OnePlus. I think as with all companies, it's kind of like organically grow their brand and make as much money as they can. And, you know, we've seen Google inundated Verizon and spent a freaking ton trying to sell Pixel phones. And they haven't sold at all. They've been increasingly, in fact, the sales have been decreasing every generation from the two down to the four. Um, well, that's because the phones got worse. As they expanded their footprint to more carriers, minus the 3A, as they expanded their footprint to more carriers, they didn't sell more phones. They haven't been able to really penetrate that market at all. So OnePlus has actually done a better job of growing that brand than Google has if you really want to go there. And well, also, But the Google, phones, the Google phones have gotten worse in each successive generation. That could also have contributed to the problem. If they'd kept the footprint of the... 2 and 2XL and just iterated on those, who knows what they might have done instead of having a hideous bathtub notch and adding gimmicky shit like Project Soli. So. Well, okay, so you're right. Uh, Google's drunken frat boy approach to design obviously isn't working either. But like for OnePlus, it is a, a situation where you know, I, I don't know what the deals are with the carriers. Maybe they can only get one phone on there. Who knows what the strategy is, but I would imagine that maybe the margin on both of the phones is relatively similar. So if they sell a bunch of one plus eights, maybe it doesn't matter to them. And the other thing here is like, if someone's walking into any of the stores, I don't think anybody that's not enthusiast is going to go with a one plus phone. I think Joe average person is going to walk in there. They're going to look at the Samsungs or they're going to look at the apples and they're going to pick one depending on whether they want an Android or an uh, Apple, you know, an iPhone and whether or not, depending on how much money they want to spend. No one's buying LG phones either. So it's like, yeah, you're right. I think in an ideal world, if you're OnePlus, you would want both phones on all carriers with a lower price point, right? But whatever they've been doing is working. Their sales have been going up. And, you know, until they don't, and maybe this is the first misstep. We'll see. I mean, this is a weird year, right? Like all of the phones are expensive as we've outlined. Samsung's are even more so. We're in a freaking pandemic, um, so I, I don't know. The S20 sales have been crap this year, and Samsung said, well, it's because of COVID. And it's like, yeah, or it could just be because your pricing is completely out of control. Pick one. Maybe both. Um, but I don't know. I'll be interested to see. Like, Do I think the OnePlus 8 Pro will sell as many units as the OnePlus 7 Pro last year? If I were a betting man, I'd probably guess no. But will OnePlus make more money overall offering both? And, you know, does this get their foot really in that flagship conversation? Probably yes, I would imagine. 
and maybe that's enough for them. They're, they're not Samsung. I'm, I'm not sure they're trying to be. And that's fair. I mean, and to, to speak to Alex's argument, you know, yes, uh, the company that makes uh, Toyota makes Lexuses and indefinite or indefinitely, indubitably, uh, they sell more Toyotas than they do Lexuses. Now, are there people who like Lexus and are willing to spend more for that brand? Yes, but I think the prices are higher because they know that there's a built-in premise that they're going to sell fewer. And I think that if OnePlus really was trying to do two things, proliferate their brand and also make their enthusiast fan base happy, well, why does the enthusiast fan base like them? Because their phones are fast and good and cheap. And they might still be fast and good, but they're now they're no longer cheap. So... I might argue that they're actually, in a way, alienating some of that enthusiast fan base and the people who might be inclined to spend a lot of money on a phone are probably not going to be buying them in the carrier stores. And so maybe, you know, plunk it to your point, maybe, you know, maybe this is their, hey, maybe we let's see if we can sell a bunch of thousand dollar phones or nine hundred and ninety nine dollar phones and see if anybody will buy it. And yeah, maybe if the margins are high enough, we can you know, make up for it in, you know, instead of in volume, we can make, make up for it on the individual margin of each phone. But the difference between a Toyota and a Lexus and a OnePlus phone is that those are essential modes of transportation. And a phone is mostly a luxury item, especially a thousand dollar phone. And we've talked about, you know, like that though, you go ahead. I think with that, if you're referring to Lexus and Toyota, then to me, it would be almost what Samsung is doing. So I would consider that Samsung. I was referring more towards the Hyundais and the Kias trying to compete with, again, the Hondas. It, I mean, me personally, I have a Kia and my previous vehicle was a Hyundai and I went with these type of vehicles because you get more bang for your buck. Same thing with the OnePlus. You get more bang for your buck. But are you though? Are you getting more bang for your buck? By the way, Alex, do you have a Telluride? I do not, but that would be the next vehicle if I was in the market. I actually have a um, Sorento. Oh, okay. Well, good luck getting a Telluride because nobody can buy them anywhere, according to Brian. But um, yeah, my poor brother, if he ever actually listened, he'd probably be sad. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, look, so my answer to your question is this. A few years ago, I think it would have been unfathomable for me to consider a OnePlus on equal footing with a Samsung phone, the only argument you can make is it costs less and it's a better value proposition. You were always giving up features. Well, now I would say to you, not only on a feature for feature do they really match and trade blows because they do. Also, it still costs less. And yes, I think if you forced me to only buy one of those two phones, if you said, okay, I guess this, if, you, if I was in the market for a big phone and I could either have the OnePlus 8 Pro or an S20 Plus or S20 Ultra, and you were making me pay retail price for those, let's just say for sake of argument, I would pick the OnePlus 8 Pro. And even your argument on trading, yes, there is an absolute convenience factor there. Um, but sometimes Samsung is fairly generous with trade-ins and sometimes they're stingy. And while it's more convenient, I can also sell my phone private party, you know, again, when we're not in quarantine land. And it really isn't that big of a deal 
And I can make good money that way too and offset some of the price and still save money. So yes, I mean, your arguments have merit, but I don't know, man. The OnePlus 8 Pro... You're, you seem to be more pro, we've talked about this already, you're, you seem to be more pro the Galaxy F20, and I'm not exactly sure. I, I think you could make some arguments, but is there something about the phone itself that you think is superior on the S20 that I'm missing? The hole punch is in the center. <laughs> so again, I'm going to repeat that question. Um, is there something <laughs> that you actually think is superior? <laughs> It, it's symmetrical and that satisfies my OCD. So, I mean, and I'll preface this by saying, you know, obviously I've not had an opportunity to test the 8 Pro. I'm hoping that one of you two Fulios will buy one and then we'll have one to review in-house. But the having had an opportunity to use the S20 Plus, I, I put it very much on par with my OnePlus 7T, which I really like. And The Verge mentions that they're... Um, you know, in their review of the 8 Pro, they say Samsung's Galaxy line is the gold standard, not necessarily because it's the best Android phone. Last year, we gave that honor to the OnePlus 7T. So the OnePlus 7T, it, to me, is kind of the, the gold standard of what you should really um, be wow. looking for in an Android phone. Um, and it, it has flaws, but I'm willing to overlook them at, you know, $599 more so than I would be at like $899 or $999. Now, uh, Having used the S20 Plus, if I had had an opportunity to do like a BOGO or something like that on it, um, it it's it's a really, really nice phone. The display is great. Um, full HD uh, at 120 hertz is not a deal breaker. And even Dieter notes in his review on, on the 8 Pro that the display is great, but um, it's nice for a spec fight to be able to pair it with the full resolution, but I left mine at 1080p most of the time to save on battery life, and it still looked quite good. So I think that there's a lot of people who would feel in the same boat because the high refresh displays do come with a bit of a hit on battery life, and so managing display resolution is a way to kind of offset that because I think people care more in the long run about battery life than they do about the display quality itself. I'm going to stop you right there. You're making... Look at the qualifying arguments. It still looks good. It's good enough or whatever, right? Why should I not be able to make my own decision as a user? And why is a twelve or $1,400 flagship from Samsung something I have to put, off with that, put up with that trade-off in the first place? There's no good reason. The, the freaking OnePlus 8 Pro uses a Samsung display. If I want to abuse my battery in the name of because I personally like the way QHD looks better. I can notice the sharpness difference. Sure, you can sit there and argue it doesn't matter that much, but I can just as easily argue it does, and I shouldn't have to put up with that. And OnePlus, in their wisdom, in my opinion, allows me, the user, to make a choice. So I feel like that's making excuses for Samsung. I feel like that's you channeling... That was one of the questions. I feel like that's Plunkett channeling our cat overlord. That was one of the questions that I actually asked Punkett is how is it that another company is able to do better displays than the company that makes them? It makes no sense. I don't Samsung know. should be able to blow it out of the water and yet they didn't get what that 10, 10 rating. Well, I mean, I think that, yeah, there's the 10 bit piece and, and the bright, the maximum brightness seems to be higher. But I mean, the reality is, so you get a panel and then there's tuning and things that go on, right? But again, like ultimately one of the companies gave me the choice and one of them didn't. And the one that gave me the choice is the phone that costs less money. Well, I think what Samsung realizes is that their audience is a, 
a wider swath of people who are going to complain more about bad battery life and realize that their phones are probably going to get panned for having worse battery life if they did do some of those decisions okay. versus OnePlus, which Samsung is, I think Samsung sounds just like Apple. Well, and okay, Samsung Apple has phone. Apple has a high refresh rate display that they're throttling. No, they they will on no, the next one. But Samsung in the Sam- in the sense of the the, the whole uh, battery gate that they had, where the older the phone, they were uh, reducing the battery life or something. They were reducing the performance because the the power drop and the CPU was too yeah. high, but. Sean, though, so here's my counter argument to that because this is easy. Samsung ships all of their phones in FHD standard now. And if your argument is Joe Average User cares more about battery life, Joe Average User also isn't going to be savvy enough to know that it's shipped in FHD and it isn't going to be savvy enough to dip into the settings and up it anyway. So they're already getting the benefit of that battery life. So why don't they let someone like me who has objection to that and wants to make my $1,200 or $1,400 phone run in QHD at 120 hertz at the expense of battery, make that decision. Because Hell, Joe, because I'll tell you why, because Joe settings. expert like you makes up a vast minority of Samsung purchasers. Yeah, but that's not an argument. Your it is an argument. Was, I'm arguing it. So it's an argument. No, but it's not. Your argument a minute ago, don't Donald Trump me, was most users care more about battery than they do about screen, which I will concede to you. So what I'm saying is why can't Samsung ship it at FHD in 120 hertz and only put the 120 hertz QHD in developer settings where you have to go out of your way to click the stupid thing seven, build number seven times, <laughs> open up developer settings and turn it on. At least then I would still have a choice. Why are they treating me like a child? It's, it's five times. Have, you can it, have it both ways. No, I, and I, I, I see your point. Uh, it's five times in the developer options, by the way. And my hands are a normal person sized, so I'm not trying to trump you. <laughs> The you are kind of orange. You are yeah, kind of orange, though. I know. I can palm a basketball, brother, so I'm good. I'm good. Um, I, yeah, no, this legit regulation, man. Meet me on the court. I'll show you. Um, Alex, you're, you're really on the nose. You're on the nose there. Go ahead, Sean. I, 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 I concede. I agree. I, th- I think that it should have been an option. I don't know why it is that Samsung might not have done it. I can tell you that, yes, they are gearing their phone towards the widest possible audience. There isn't really a good reason that I could give you that they shouldn't have at least included in the developer settings. But the the real world trade-off for this is that a phone that should be as incredible on battery life as the OnePlus 8 Pro should be is not. And there were some concerns at the T-Mobile store when I bought my 7T. The gal was like, oh, yeah, we get a lot of returns on this phone because um, the 90 hertz display supposedly eats into your battery. And I'm here to tell you that's hot garbage because I use the 90 hertz display. And, yeah, it's full HD. But the OnePlus 6T was, you know, full HD at 60 hertz. And gets this phone gets as equally as good a battery life as that phone did. So I don't think it's those things. I think the, the real issue is that. Ultimately, you know, the the enthusiast brand gave enthusiast options and the mainstream brand gave mainstream options. I'm not not necessarily saying that I believe that that was the right course of action in terms of not offering the QHD and 120 or QHD and 90 hertz or 120 hertz options. But there there is there is a good reason 
for it in terms of sales and proliferation. And Samsung will absolutely sell more phones than OnePlus does. There's no question about that. But even if those things were to scale, even if they were both on a level playing field, I don't think that, I think that OnePlus has been known for kind of pushing the envelope for these kinds of things. And yes, having the 120 QHD is great, but I think that there is a significant trade-off for that there that is going to turn some people off or may turn some people off. And the people who want it can have it, and maybe that's enough. But I don't think, you know, Samsung has a broad enough product offering. You know, their A phones, their J phones, and all the other Galaxy S lines. You know, plus they make up TVs and a bunch of other crap where they can, they can have afford a, a relatively broad uh, portfolio of phones and have a price point for every phone. OnePlus isn't doing that and they can't do that. So I think that their value prop is much better on the 8 than it is on the 8 Plus, at least in this first generation, because they're not going to have that name recognition. The 8 Pro is not going to be in carrier stores. And so I wouldn't be surprised if in terms of Kind of like you've already mentioned, Sean. I think in terms of their actual sales numbers, I think the 8 Pro's numbers are going to be down. And I don't think that's going to come as a surprise to anybody. And I don't think they had to be. Because I think if each one of these phones was $100 cheaper than what it is today, it's a huge difference in terms of the actual value proposition to not only people who might be regular buyers, but also people who would be enthusiast buyers as well. Yeah, I blame Qualcomm more for that than I do OnePlus. And that's fair. But at the end of the day, like, Look, I, I, I'm going to pick apart one more of your arguments just because I enjoy it so much. On the OnePlus 8 Pro, you have all of the options as the Samsungs, except for you have an additional one. So you can run it as far as I know in FHD Plus at 60 or 120 or QHD Plus at 60 or 120. So the battery argument, right, if you run it at full throttle, you're probably going to get less battery than a Galaxy S20 Plus. But if you run it with equivalent resolution and refresh rate, I haven't seen anything that would lead me to believe it's any different. So again, at least as a user, I'm getting that decision put in my hand, one. So, and you know, so yes, if someone in the public doesn't know what they're doing and they set up to QH, QHD plus with 120 hertz, I suppose they could have bad battery life, but like, I think that's fairly unlikely. Um, and still like really, again, at the end of the day, I'm just breaking it down this way. Really, simply speaking, if you're looking at an S20 Plus, for instance, versus the OnePlus 8 Pro, which I think are kind of direct competitors, they have almost the exact same size battery, same chip, same RAM and memory, effectively. One has, uh, you know, a standard hole punch, one has it to the left. One can do QHD at 120 hertz and the other can't, which is a big deal to me. The cameras honestly seem relatively similar from the reviews. Maybe the OnePlus 8 Pro is like a hair under, but Samsung didn't knock it out of the park exactly this year with their cameras by and large. The reviews on theirs were also fairly mixed. Both have wireless charging. Only OnePlus does have this fast wireless charging if that's your thing. Um, So really Samsung has an SD card. OnePlus 8 doesn't, but you can run QHD Plus at full res. And also, 256 gig is plenty for me, so that wouldn't really be much of a consideration. So if you're breaking it down and you're looking at it in those terms, and one costs $200 less, I guess I'm just still struggling to see how the argument... You could say, okay, it's a bigger brand. Maybe the Samsung gets support for longer, but that hasn't historically been the case. So, I don't... I don't know. To me, I would lean OnePlus 8 Pro. 
Alex, are you going to buy an 8 Pro? Are you going to upgrade your 7 Pro to an 8 Pro? Um, I've been trying to plant the seed because uh, my accountant and my wife is the one that manages the accounts. So <laughs> honestly, I'd probably have to wait till uh, the holidays to even consider one. Um, but it's definitely caught my eye. And um, if I'm in the market soon, I would absolutely buy the 8 Pro over the Samsung Ultra, even the S20 Plus. It's, uh, like I said, it, for me, it's more bang for the buck. It's, I think, in our way, better than the Samsung itself. I think it's more nuanced and closer than that. And remember, like, I, I've been a Samsung core for most of my life. Like, you know, I, I generally stick to their phones. And um, although I'm complaining that the OnePluses are now too expensive, my solution to the expensive phone problem is to buy a Fold 2, which is probably going to cost twice as much. So what the hell do I know? Um, but... Yeah, I think it's closer than people think. And really, like, look, I'm just going to say it. In the world of flagship phones now, like really top-end flagship phones, there's only three companies playing there. And it's Apple, Samsung, and OnePlus. That's it. The Pixels are not there. They haven't been really true all the way, all-around flagships for a couple generations HTC apparently doesn't exist anymore. LG doesn't play in that realm. We've seen Motorola's flagship, and it's not bringing everything to the table that these guys are. So, I mean, we're literally in a world now where, like, the top three most spec, highest flagship phones come from Apple, Samsung, and OnePlus. And OnePlus is the least expensive of the trio. Yeah, and I, I just don't think they're going to sell in any real quantities that would make a significant difference. Uh, it's funny because it, it sounded like what you just said was don't buy the 999 phone and do buy the $1,800 phone. Oh, no, it's not even going to be like, don't get, don't get it twisted. The Fold 2 is going to be more expensive this year. I'm going to guess it's going to be $2,100 or whatever. Um, and I'm absolutely advocating for that because uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, non-Fold phones are just passe now. I can't. Like, yeah. I'm, just, I'm, I'm bored with the slab form factor, and I want something that has a ton of compromises and costs twice as much. That's just how I will. Phone crease or GTFO, baby? Yeah, I mean, that's basically, that's it. Uh, as I said, I, I want, just as with anything in my life, lots of compromises and uh, exceedingly expensive. So before we wrap up and move on to the iPhones, where I'll make the exact opposite argument that you actually are getting a lot for your money, um, any final thoughts from either of you on the 8 Pro? My, uh, Alex, go first. Like I said, I think... It's at a great value. What you're getting is, again, at a great value compared to everybody else. It's under $1,000, technically $999. Um, and like I said, I mean, I personally am always going to YouTube and watching some reviews on there. And quite honestly, nobody said anything bad about it. And nobody, yes, they touched on the price, but they nobody ever said it was a bad deal. So... Plunkett? Yeah, I don't know, man. Like, I'm not going to buy it straight up. Uh, I don't think it's... I think the OnePlus 7 Pro, in hindsight, was like an insane steal of a phone, which is kind of when I bought last year what I was hoping. But I do... And I, I guess the other thing is like, yeah, you're right. It's not going to sell as much. 
but I don't think that matters that much because I'm not sure that's their goal. And also, like, just because something sells a lot doesn't mean it's good. Britney Spears has sold a lot of records, and her music's dog shit. Her voice is really good. So, like, I don't, I don't think it's a metric that's necessarily the measuring stick. I think for OnePlus, it's about profitability and growth, and we'll see how that goes this year. But I have a hunch that with these two phones, they'll probably still be profitable and see some growth. I do think they're the hike is real. It's way more than I was expecting. But if you're being objective and you're really comparing flagship phones, I think it still compares rather favorably. I think on paper, that might be the case. But I don't think that OnePlus made their reputation on being a full-priced phone or full-priced flagship phone maker. And I think that that uh, disappointment is going to lead to a lot of sales of the OnePlus 8 and not as many as they expected sales of the 8 Pro. And I guess ultimately that will see uh, or that will inform OnePlus's decision for the future. I mean, they came up as a you know scrappy underdog who's selling great phones for cheap prices. Now, if they're just like everybody else in terms of you can buy a flagship phone for flagship price. I, I don't know that the people who've supported them up until this point are into it. And I don't think that anybody else who wouldn't have had an opportunity to buy a OnePlus phone up to this point is really going to be into it either. And that just leads me to say, you know, who's, who is the market for this phone then? And I, I don't know the answer to that question. Maybe there are some, you know, niche enthusiasts who love OnePlus and are okay to pay a buck short of $1,000 for their phone. But I think the vast majority of people have been buying OnePlus phones might go, eh, you know what? I can just hang on to this 7 or 7 Pro or 7T for a little bit longer and then see what maybe comes next year. So, Yeah, we'll see. I bet Alice will still end up with one. So I think he's the market. <laughs> well... We'll call, we'll call your wife, Alex. Don't worry about it. We'll make it happen. Merry, yeah. Christ, Merry Christmas. Right. Um, so, Thank you. Um, one quick question. Do we, do we think we see a, a OnePlus 8 light? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's leaked often enough that it obviously exists out there. Um, so I guess it has to be coming out at some point this year. It's kind of bizarre that they didn't release it at the same time. But, yeah, I think we absolutely see it. I don't know. What will be interesting to see is if it gets released in our market. That I'm not sure of. Yeah, I think where there's smoke, there's fire, but I would tend to agree. I think this is probably an Indian market phone or Indian subcontinent market phone, and um, I doubt it would even support U.S. LTE bands. If I had to wager a guess, I'd say no. I don't know where. I would, I would probably say based on their business model and history, I think I agree. I think we'll see it, but I don't think we'll see it here. Which is kind of a bummer, but... That's uh, you know that's the way cookie crumbles sometimes, especially with uh, phones that have a significant following in overseas markets or non-American markets, anyways. So, speaking of American markets, it's Stimulus Day in the United States, a country that is currently under widespread stay-at-home orders due to the coronavirus global pandemic, and yet Apple still found a way to launch uh, a brand new phone. Uh, a phone that has been rumored for a while. And if you follow um, Front Page Tech and John Prosser, uh, shout out to the uh, the uh, toilet, toilet Paper Squad, um, you'll know that this has been rumored for a little while now. And essentially what we got is an iPhone 8 with iPhone 11 and 11 Pro internals and a few other changes at a very, very interesting price point. So, do you have the uh, do you have the specs of what was launched today, Sean? There in front of you. Yeah. So here we go. Hit iPhone me. SE twenty twenty. 
has a 4.7 true tone display, which is, it's like 326 PPI. It's nothing fancy, but it gets the job done. It's still an LCD. Um, we have Touch ID Generation 2, IP67 water resistance. It comes in black, white, and red. It comes with the A13 Bionic chip introduced last year with the iPhone 11 series. Um, it has eSIM, so it can support dual SIMs. You can travel overseas or something, which is pretty cool. 12 megapixel main camera at f1.8. Um, it sounds like the hardware is not changed with the camera, but I guess with that A13, you're getting the upgraded ISP, so you'll get a lot of the better processing stuff, so that's kind of nice. Um, 7 megapixel front camera, um, wireless charging, uh, and this bad boy prices at... 399 for the 64 gig model, 449 for 128 gigabytes, 499 for 256 gigabytes. Um, and man, I kind of, I texted both of you or, or was kind of linking you guys earlier discussing this with you. I never thought I would ever say this, but uh, that's the best value phone on the market. The best value phone on the market is now a freaking iPhone, which just, you know, is crushing. Um, I, I wrote that it shits all over every Android phone in that price range, which I stand by. Uh, Apple already had a commanding market share lead amongst teens in the United States. And I just don't see a way that this doesn't extend that further because if you're a parent and you're going in and you're getting your kid's first phone and you want something that's just relatively idiot-proof and inexpensive, I think this is a no-brainer. And also, because it has the A13 chip in it, um, Probably will get supported for no joke, like four years at least, because it can be supported right along with the iPhone 11s. And Apple has a fantastic track record of phone support. So compared to a mid-range Android phone, in which you're getting, I don't know, one or two OS updates, and it probably is good for two years, this will probably be good for at least double that. If not, I wouldn't be shocked if it ends up being five years. Um, and also, just as another side, I, I can't believe I'm saying this either, because I mean, Sean, I remember pods when Apple was raising their prices on their phones where we were like, Apple's lost their goddamn mind. They're charging way too much money, like $1,000 phones, what the hell? And now I'm in a position where I'm going, I think they have the most complete competitive phone lineup of anyone by far. You have this great entry-level phone that ranges from 399 to 499 You have the iPhone 11, it's 699 and then you can go up to, you know a couple hundred dollars more depending on the, the memory size. And then you have the pro lineup and you know, those are expensive, right? They're, they're a thousand to 1400, same as the Samsung's, but you have a bunch of options that are great that you're not really trading that much off with much lower down the price point ladder. And man, it, it's, it's kind of shocking in a way um, how quickly I feel like Apple's doing a lot more right than any of the other Android OEMs, especially when it comes to price. Alex, you got anybody in your family that uses an iPhone? Uh, yeah, everybody but my family, my immediate, uh, my wife uses iPhones. Yes, sorry. So <laughs> my mom has an iPhone. So I before actually, funny story. Before Android, I was a huge uh, iPhone Apple um, enthusiast, and I convinced everybody to go with Apple. And now I'm trying to convince them to go with Android. How's that working out for you? So I asked that question because you saw this announcement, you've heard Sean talk about the specs, 
Would you recommend this phone to anybody in your circle that currently has iPhones? Honestly, I would recommend it to who it's geared towards. So my younger cousins, uh, yes, I would absolutely um, recommend this phone at the price range, especially for what you're getting. I was actually talking to my wife as we were taking a drive um, down PCH. And I think personally, I mean, this this is for the young people and this is going to be for the older generation who wants a simple yet reliable phone that, like Sean mentioned, you're going to be able to keep for four or five years. I, I basically agree with that. I think they booked this phone is what I call the bookend phone. So what I mean by that is it's like the bookends of your life. It's for people getting their first smartphone, <laughs> the teenagers and younger people. And then it's for people that are just old and don't give a crap and want an entry level smartphone that will babysit them. It's perfect. Wait, Apple, Apple's making the jitterbug. Is that what's going on? Yeah. I mean, effectively, I mean, iOS, yes, is exactly that OS, but yeah, I mean, like, Look, if I, I'm imagining, would I recommend it to a lot of people? Probably not. Like, I think for most people that I know who are more in our age bracket and have more spending capital, I think this. I think the iPhone 11 actually is the best all-rounder. That's usually what I recommend if I'm recommending an iPhone, because I think for 6.99 or 7.49, um, the stuff that it brings to the table, the larger screen the uh, face ID and some of the other things that it has, that would be enough for me to recommend that, I think, for most people. But yeah, if someone said, hey, my 13-year-old or God, I don't even know, when do kids get their first cell phone now in the womb? Too, yeah, Jackson. If, if a young child was looking for a phone and they didn't want an Android phone, I think this is unequivocally the choice. And honestly, even if they did want an Android phone for their younger kid, I don't know, man. It would be... I, it would be... I'd be pretty hard pressed to not make this the recommendation. When's the last time you could legitimately say that a $399 phone is four years worth of future proof? Never. Even, I don't even think the previous SE, which was smaller and mostly just like a, an iPhone four kind of like refreshed with some of the other internals. I don't think it had the current generation, um, Apple, CPU GPU combo in it. No, I thought it was a year. I think it was a year behind at the time, but I still think you got three or four years out of that. But yeah, like this phone unequivocally, I there's no way this one doesn't last four years from a support standpoint. I, if I were betting in, I would say five. It's crazy to me that they can also do things like the portrait mode with a single lens, both front facing and rear facing. You get 4K 60. Uh, some of the best 4K um, mobile footage in the business, by the way, and that that's basically been true of multiple generations of the iPhone. Even if they're still um, image photography, hadn't quite hadn't quite caught up with the pixel cameras photography. Uh, although there's a lot more parity in the iPhone 11 Pro and Pro Max, but uh, successive generations of the Pixel devices have have proven much worse at videography than the iPhones are. And I think that this phone, um, you know, hits a lot of those touch points for people who, like you say, uh, you know, young people who are into making TikToks, whatever the hell that is. And, you know, older people who just want a phone that can make phone calls and do Sudoku and some other stuff on it. It, it really is astonishing to me. And I get the compromises. I, you know, the, the gigantic bezels, the LCD display, the, the touch ID instead of face ID. There's a lot of things that are perceived as compromises, 
But when you talk about essentially flagship level processing power, horsepower, you know, mated with iOS's very low um, spec requirements to begin with, at a at a phone that you can get 128 gigs of storage at for less than 450 dollars, this is it. This is Apple is doing something. And, and we thought that pricing the iPhone 11 at 699 was a nuts move. This is even more crazy. They are going to sell so many of these phones. They're going to run out of this phone very quickly. And it's, it's going to be, I think, a shock to people that the lead times on these phones are going to start getting pushed back several weeks, maybe even, you know, a month and a half, almost immediately at launch, which is, is mind boggling to me. This was absolutely the right move on the part of Apple in terms of of getting something into the hands of people that are just disappointed with their high priced, you know, pro model phones. Yeah, and Apple's the only company that was in the position to do this this year because of the situation I outlined with Qualcomm and the X55 modem. All of the Android OEMs are stuck. They had to buy this ridiculously expensive chip, and as a consequence, phone prices have shot up. Apple was able, because they do their own chips, to completely avoid that situation because they have complete control over their silicon, and they can tell Qualcomm to eat it and just buy the old 4G modem, which is exactly what they did. 5G is an overhyped, stupid technology right now. And that, so it's like, what just happened is just mind-numbing because not only is the A13 as fast and really out benchmark still the Snapdragon 865 this year, it really does, but it's less expensive. So they were able to put in a $399 phone because they don't have to deal with Qualcomm's nonsense. So it's, it really is something in bullets. You know, worldwide, there's always going to be cheap Chinese phones and stuff. I don't think that Apple will ever be able to get the foothold they have in the United States. But in the United States, like, look, if you are picking off 80% of the first people's first smartphone, and they're Apple, which has extremely high brand retention and loyalty, then really they're setting themselves up extraordinarily well for the future. Because as those consumers grow and have more discretionary income, they'll be able to buy more expensive iPhones and they'll be in that ecosystem and they'll have no good reason to change. It's just, you know, really clever and really sheds light on, I don't know, Android's going to release, Google's going to release a Pixel 4a next week and look, man, it, it has some, it has a more modern design and it'll probably have a slightly better camera. But other than that, it doesn't compare, and it has an OLED screen versus um, versus LCD, which is not trivial. But really, like for the things that matter for most people, oh, God, they're facing an uphill battle. Alex, do you um, do you believe, as as Sean does, that five um, G is the root cause of the coronavirus? <laughs> uh, absolutely not. <laughs> So you're not you're not protesting and, and shutting down five G towers in the UK as we speak. No, oh. I hope, that's good. I you hope shouldn't do that. Cause, I hope it's the root cause of your Ebola case, Sean Spring. That's what I hope. Uh, I took some penicillin and I got better, so I'm good there. Thanks, though. <laughs> I 
I, I, I also am a little bit shocked, I guess is maybe the right word to, to think that Apple, um, really just said, Hey, we have our own ways of getting good, inexpensive phones into the market. And I think that they realized that there was a market for it and they are rushing to fill that gap giggity where the, the four a, like you touched on, like I was really interested in the 4A and I was really interested in seeing this value proposition. And there's been some rumors that Apple, or excuse me, that Google might not put the A65 in their next flagship phone. Like they might put, um, this, I think it's the 765. So it's you know, basically the one step down without the 5G modem to, as, a try, as a ploy to try and save on cost and stuff. But it really is an only Apple play where they can put their high-end custom silicon in a phone and, and cut enough corners and still f- provide a, a good enough value proposition. I mean, this phone's got freaking wireless charging, for Christ's sake. It's got an IP rating. It's got a good enough camera. It's got a good enough screen. It's got Touch ID, which some people really love over Face ID. I, I'm kind of torn. There, there's some things about Face ID I, I like, and there's some things about Touch ID that I like more, especially the second generation, which is the, the, the non-button button version of it. But... All of that stuff goes away when you realize that you can get a $399 really, really good iPhone. Like, if this phone is $599, i am going, eh, I'd rather have my 7T. At $399, I'm going, ugh. That's a, I mean, it, that is a much tougher sell. And I, I think that this is an incredible move by Apple. And in a way kind of goes contrary to all of the critical things that we've said about the 11 pro and the pro max and that they're, they're too expensive and yes, you're getting, you know, top of the line, everything, but you know, you don't really have too many other options because in some ways Apple's, you know, like status symbol thing is like, well, do I want the poverty iPhone or do I want like the real iPhone that people will know that I had the money to buy? Like nobody's going to care now because you know what? The people who don't want to afford to upgrade the 150 bucks or whatever can just now go and get a 399 iPhone and it's good. And parents will buy it for their kids. Older people will buy it or younger people will buy it for their older parents and they'll feel good about it because they get all of the modern conveniences of a regular smartphone and they can hold on to that $399 phone for a minimum of three years. And that's an incredible, incredible value. You're talking about, uh, you know, hundred and you know, some odd dollars per year in terms of an investment and a return on that investment. It's, it's, it's mind boggling what Apple has done here. And I'll reiterate what I said at the top of this, they are going to sell a crap ton of these phones. And it, it really is something that will reinforce and drive more people to their ecosystem of products because, Hey, at 399, you know what else I can afford to buy? I can afford to buy AirPods. You know what else I can afford to buy? I can afford to buy an Apple watch. Like those are the kinds of things that you can do when you're getting a phone cheap enough. Whereas with the 11 and the 11 pro, you may have to make some compromises and say, okay, well I can get the phone or the watch, or I can get the phone and the AirPods, but not the watch. Now Apple has a way to really grab new customers by the throat and get them into their ecosystem in such a way as that they can almost virtually guarantee that they will never leave. And that is really, I mean, isn't that the ultimate goal of all of these companies is to get consumers into their brands and make it so that they don't want to leave. Just about just throwing it out there. Might this phone actually be geared more towards the older crowd? Because I kind of feel like kids are going to try to convince their parents, especially with payment plans to get, 
the much better phone, like you said, the one that has the name, the one that people are going to see and say, hey, this this kid's got money. Uh, I don't know. I, so I, I guess it would depend on how old your kid is. Like, um, I'll, I'll just give a point of reference. Our really good friends have a freshman in high school, and she got her first phone in sixth grade and got a iPhone 6S. And at the time, it wasn't state-of-the-art or anything, but she couldn't have been happier. She thought it was, like, the best, right? And then um, it needed to be refreshed. She wanted a new phone this year, and we got her a iPhone 11 this time because that's what she wanted. She wanted the face ID and wanted to step up and wanted some of the camera features and whatnot, right? So I think it probably depends on, like, the age of the kid largely. I think that most, um, as Sean kind of alluded to, it's like, most of the really young kids who are getting phones, and if, I'm not kidding, I think the actual age is like, if, it seems with my son between 10 and like 12, 13 is when kids are getting phones now. That really young young segment is just happy to have a phone. And so they don't, and they're not necessarily savvy enough with technology to know that they want something better. They just want to freaking watch TikTok with their idiot friends. And so, um, you know, I, I, I don't, think there's as much discretion there they just they're happy to have a phone they're just happy to be there but yeah by the second phone i think as kids are you know 16 17 or high school or whatever yeah they'd probably lobby for the next step up but again that's why it's so genius to me because now apple has them just locked into the ecosystem and you know a parent that for their first phone for their kid might have actually bought a cheap android phone at some point because the price was so much less you know when when the, the lowest iPhones at one point were $649, that may be a steep ask for your 11-year-old, right? So you might have gone with like a $200 or $300 budget phone. But now if you walk in and you see an iPhone that's going to be supported for years or whatever for $399, I think the decision is a slam dunk. And I, and I, yeah. I do tend to agree only in that I think that with the disparity in the age brackets that Sean's kind of touched on and full disclosure, you know, my mom asked me about, um, this cheaper iPhone because it was cheaper, but she has a seven plus right now. And she's like, wait a minute, it's the small one. Ugh, I'm gonna have to think about that. But I think that when your your kids are, you know, like Jack's age, you know, they don't have the, you know, they they kind of have to take what they can get. And the parents definitely want a cheaper phone at that price point. When you're talking about 16, 17, 18 kids that, you know, may have a part-time job or at least could earn some side money doing like babysitting jobs and stuff like that, they have the ability to contribute financially to the purchase that they make. And so I think that that makes a huge yeah. difference in terms of what they have access to because yeah, maybe the parent says, I'll, I'll give you 400 bucks and you kick down another 200 bucks and we can get you the $600 phone instead of, well, hell, if I got to pay for it myself, then you're going to get the phone that I can afford and that I can buy you and, you know. <laughs> Kid, kids tend to be notoriously hard on things that they get for free. Uh, my kids are no exception to that. And, you know, it's much easier to survive uh, a destroyed 399 phone than it is, um, you know, a, a 699 phone. And I think that something else that plays into this is that, you know, never underestimate the status of being a blue bubble instead of a green bubble. So even if you have the cheapest iPhone, you're still a blue bubble. And that makes a lot of difference to some people. And I think accessories now are kind of the, the big differentiator. I, I very vividly have a memory of going to Target a while ago and having some 
uh, teenage girls come in and talk to the kid at the counter at Target saying, oh, hey, do you have AirPods? I need to get AirPods. And he's like, yeah, no, we're sold out. You might want to try like La Habra or something like that. And they were super bummed because that has now become kind of the visual status symbol of you know, the meritocracy because you're, you know, you've got AirPods hanging out of your ears. Like I think as Sean has on more than one occasion described them as little tiny flaccid penises, but it's very visible. Whereas your iPhone, you know, is maybe in your pocket half of the time. And even if it's a pro, nobody's going to know that you have it until you whip it out and show it off. But if you're walking around with AirPods in your ears, well, then everybody knows that you can afford AirPods. So there is some, there are some distinctions in the cachet now that, that is running around. And, you know, I'm not going to profess to be an expert on millennial and younger culture, but, you know, I, I think that you could make an argument that there is definitely a, a mature age segment for this phone. And there definitely is a younger age segment for this phone. And then there's, you know, kind of in that in-between segment where the, the average people or the, you know, the, the working age kids that might want the 11 um, or the 11 pro, depending on what they can get away with. So it, it really, it's just a, it's a, it's a brilliant move by Apple to fill this market with a phone that is good at that price point. Cause I think you can find phones at that price point, And I think you can find good phones, but I don't think you can often find a good phone at that price point. And Apple has done something that they hadn't been able to do up until this point, which was release a quality phone at a sub $500 price point. And now that they've done that, the game maybe has changed and maybe it's changed forever or for as long as they offer this 2020 iPhone SE anyways. Any other thoughts? No, I promised Alex this would be about 45 minutes and we're double. I don't want to let to divorce him. That's a thought. The only thing is that... We promised Alex 45 minutes and that was two hours ago. (laughs) Yeah, AirPods do look like the gag and there's something about Mary when he has a white substance hanging from his ear. Uh, That's all I think of whenever I see anyone with AirPods. Um, For anyone not old enough to get that reference, go ahead and watch that movie uh, and you'll understand. Boom goes the dynamite. Boom goes the dynamite. Yeah, now plunk it. Your son was asking for AirPods, and now that there is an iPhone that is very, very cheap, is that going to be his Christmas present this year? No, I mean, he can have an iPhone when he moves out of the house. He's supporting himself. <laughs> that's, that's, that's how I live my life, and I'm not changing it. Um, uh, he, we have a plethora of Android devices available. He's, uh, he's using an LG V40 currently. It does not have cell service. He just uses it around the home. And he just uses it to, like, TikTok. Like, that's all he does. Like, he's just on TikTok all the time. Like, it's insane. So, you know, if he wants to watch, if he wants to let the Chinese steal all of his data, uh, as a parent, I think that's fine. But he can do it on an Android phone, damn it. <laughs> I wholeheartedly support that. So, um, is, that the, is that the V40 review unit we had? Yeah. That's hilarious. Well, at least somebody's getting some use out of it anyways. So coming for that thing. This is a true review. If you want to talk about how it does a battery life in TikTok, man, here we are. Yeah, no, no kidding. Well, I've, I've got that G7 still floating around in a box somewhere, so I guess I'll probably have to return that to LG at some point. But um, You won't, though, because they don't even know that you have it anymore because they don't realize they still sell phones. Nah, that's, that's my theory. That's pretty accurate, actually. I might have to put in my SIM into that thing and light it up and see how it's still working these days, so... Well, gentlemen, I, uh, unless you have any parting thoughts, I do appreciate your time and uh, the, the open-ended discussion. And um, Alex, thanks for, uh, thanks for jumping on the pod, man. It was good to have you. Yeah, yeah man. You gotta, thanks you for having me. I know. Yeah, I got to uh, sharpen up these uh, pod skills, these debating skills. I do have to say one thing. Now, Spring, I don't know if you saw Flossie Carter's video on the uh, one, uh, 
one plus a pro, but he did say it was a major, 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 major go. So I, I that's a lot of major. I love that's a lot of right there. I love Flossie, but he he's absolutely a shill, and there's no denying that whatsoever. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Just because he once supported a rebranded Chinese woman <laughs> he lied about and got called out and claimed much people, does not mean. Oh wait, no, that does mean he's a that, giant sellout. Of. T- turns turns out that's exactly what that means. But he he is a good dude. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, having met him in real life, he he does seem to be a very genuine and down to earth person. But um, and I ain't mad at dude for trying to get his bag. But um, yeah, absolute shill. So um, we, we ain't mad at you wrong about the pro. It's good. okay. Good times. Good times. All right, gentlemen, it's late. I'll let you go. Have a good evening, and um, let's do it again soon. All right, sounds good. Thanks, guys. Take care, guys. Thanks for the invite. Later. So that's it. That's been the Silicon Theory Podcast. Thanks again for listening. Remember, if you enjoyed the show, share with your family and friends. And if you're on Apple Podcasts and you're listening to us, make sure you hit us up with five stars. We would really appreciate that. Helps the show out. And remember, as always, we will talk tech soon.